Welcome to the Redeemer Community Church Podcast. The following audio is from Redeemer Community Church, located in Johnson City, Tennessee. We hope it will be encouraging to you as you listen. Chapter 3. Let me pray for us and we'll dive in. God, we are thankful that you have revealed yourself to us through your word, that we don't have to walk around life guessing what's right, what's wrong, what's pleasing, what's not pleasing. You've, you've shown up and pursued us and grabbed hold of us. And God, we want to align our lives with you, um, not because we're fearful of punishment, but because we, we know as we experience your love that this is what's best for our lives. So God, as we trek through uh, this letter to this real church, and these real people, God, um, help us to see how it applies to our lives today. Let it shape who we are. In your name we pray. Amen. Have you ever wondered how you're doing in life compared to other people your age? You know, maybe, maybe you look in your, like, whether it's education level or uh, your house, your kids, the vacations you can take or your retirement plan, whatever it is, like, how am I doing? Am I on track? If you're like me, sometimes you think I'm doing okay, and other times you think maybe not so okay. Well, at the beginning of the year, there was a story that came out where some parents had to sue their 30-year-old son so they could evict him from their house. Um, they, they were trying to get this guy to, to move on. They looked at his job skills from what he did have and tried to help him find a job. They, they tried to help him organize his life. They gave him $1,100 to find his own place. None of it worked. So eventually they sue him and they evict him. His response is he countersues them to stay. And, uh, and some, a reporter was asking him, do you think your parents are just trying to show you some tough love? And his response was, in a very childish way, I don't think tough love is trying to destroy somebody. They, they stopped feeding me. They cut me off from the family phone plan, right? Like he's sitting there just complaining. You're sitting there going like, are you kidding me? You're 30 years old. And like, you have no intention of ever leaving the house. And, and so today, as we look at 1 Corinthians 3, Paul is looking at the church, looking at their age, knowing where they are and where they should be. And he's basically seeing them as a 30-year-old guy living at home, complaining about getting kicked off the family phone plan. And so in the first nine verses, he unpacks for us why we need to grow up. He's he's saying that we should be maturing in our faith. Uh, He compares us to a field and you think about growing and producing fruit that's beneficial to those that were around. And then in verses 10 through 23, we're gonna unpack today. He's gonna shift to show us why maturity is so important. Why does God take us growing in our faith so seriously? So if you look at verse nine, he, we kind of see the two metaphors. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field. That's an agricultural metaphor that he's just wrapped up. And then he shifts, God's building, you are God's building. And this gives us an architectural metaphor, which is what we're gonna unpack today. Verse 10, he says, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. So, so Paul compares himself to this chief engineer, this wise master craftsman, this expert builder. He, he says, look, I'm the architect 
and you guys are the building crew. And so you need to take care in how you are building on the foundation of Christ that I laid. And so over and over and over again, about four different times in a short few verses, he's going to use the word foundation. We see that he's warning us about it. And so why is he warning us about the foundation? Why is he warning us about the foundation and how we build upon it? Because who today came into the King Center wondering about the foundation of this building? Who came in thinking, this is four stories tall. I wonder what material they use for the foundation. I wonder how deep it goes, right? Like no one's thinking about the foundation today, right? You know who's thinking about foundations today? People who are buying or selling a home just had an inspection done and you're keeping your fingers crossed that nothing's coming back, right? Or someone that, that their garage started sinking in, they're going, something's not right here. And they had to, they had to call a foundation repair warning. How much is it gonna cost? Is this gonna red flag my house for the rest of my life? Like people who are thinking about foundations generally have foundation problems. But if the foundation is working properly, it becomes a silent assumption, And so what Paul is saying here is he's warning us about how we build on the foundation and pushing in on foundation, foundation, foundation is because he knows it's very easy for us to let Christ become a silent assumption to the work of the church. It's so easy for us to build something without giving Jesus a second thought. And he's saying we we can't forget Christ in the work that we do. In verse 11, he says, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. He's saying, look, Jesus has to be the driving force of everything that we do. Children's ministry, youth ministry, small groups, our Sunday morning gathering, Jesus is the driving force, which means if you think about children's ministry, the primary care or the primary function of children's ministry is not childcare. The primary function of of having something for our kids is not to provide babysitting. Our kids are cared for, right? But the primary function of children's ministry is to teach children about Jesus. Small groups. The primary function of small groups isn't friendship. It's not to gather people so they can become best buds. Now, friendship does happen, but the primary function is to push each other towards Christ. Sunday morning. Right? The, the primary function of Sunday morning gatherings is not to give you an experience. Our goal isn't like, let's really shape the songs and the distortion and the drums in a way that really gets people's heartstrings going. Like, let's, let's make sure that people leave here with an experience. Like, hopefully you will experience God's spirit and his presence here. But the primary function of our meetings on Sunday mornings is to rehearse the gospel in such a way that you're shaped to be more like Christ. Jesus has to be the driving force to everything that we do as a church. But Paul knows that it's so easy to build things based off of what people want instead of what people need. So we can look at children's ministry and say, what do parents want? What do kids want? And then we can shape it and build it in a way that it can build up and be attractive on the outside looking in and do things with Jesus out of the picture. We could do small groups the same way. We could do Sunday morning the same way. We can build something in town that looks very impressive without Jesus in the picture. And Paul is saying, we can't do that. We have to remember the foundation is Christ and he has to be the driving force of everything that we do. We're not building a church based off of what people want. 
We're building it based off of what they need, and that is Christ. Verse 12, he says, Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. He he begins to talk about materials. The, the materials that we are using to build upon the foundation. And so if you look at this list, it basically can be broken up into two purposes. The first set of material, the gold, the silver, the precious stones, that's something you would use in constructing something like a temple. And then wood, um, straw, and hay, like those types of things would be used in constructing something like your house, right? You, you have a house for your personal comfort, right? It's about you and what you need. But if you're building a temple, it's something that's bigger than yourself. And so what he's saying is when we, when we build, we need to realize that we can either build for our comfort, for what we want, or we can build for something that is bigger than ourselves. When you think about the, the foundation, all right, there, there's this thing in Saudi Arabia called the Kingdom Tower. And the Kingdom Tower, when it is finished, is going to be the tallest tower in the world. It's going to surpass the Dubai Tower. Right? The Kingdom Tower will be the tallest tower in the world. It's $1.5 billion for the project. It's going to take a total of five years to complete. Once it's done, it's going to stand 1,000 meters tall, and it's going to have 170 floors with super elevators. These elevators go 1.5 times the speed of gravity. Right? Like these things are flying as they go up and down the building. And so imagine what type of foundation would be needed to hold a structure that tall the foundation is going to go down 100 meters deep. In other words, the foundation of this kingdom tower will be as deep as a football field, just deep. So imagine using the time and the resources and the energy to construct a foundation meant to hold the kingdom tower and then throwing a little cottage or farmhouse on top of it. Right, like that wouldn't make sense. That that would that wouldn't that wouldn't that wouldn't look normal, right? And you see that the foundation is meant to determine the quality and the size of the building. And so Paul is showing us by talking about the materials that we use that the church is meant to reflect the depth and the strength of Christ. So when we build the church, it's not meant to be reflective of what we want. It's meant to be reflective of Christ and who he is. And, and so if we build a church for our comfort, like if that's our goal is, is what do people want? How do we make people feel cozy when they come here? What we do is we create a spectator mentality where all of a sudden what we're doing is like a concert and we're trying, to, we're trying to see people as passive spectators and critics, and we're doing our best to scratch the itches of their preferences and their felt needs, right? And so people show up, they don't shoulder the load, they just come to see what it, what it was like, then they leave saying things like, that was good or that wasn't good. And it's all about kind of what you want, and how do they, how do, they do in, in meeting me there? Right? But if we're building on the foundation of Christ, if it's not for our comfort, but for something much bigger, right? then all of a sudden, the questions we're asking aren't about, was it good? Did people like it? Did we hold their attention? We're asking different questions. Were people encouraged and challenged and equipped with the gospel? Instead of seeing people as spectators at a concert, it's, it's like we're at a potluck dinner. Right? Well, we're coming, and yes, we're receiving something, but we're also participating by our giving. 
right? It's like a both and, it's a partnership. And as we do that, it's not about us, it's about Jesus and what he's doing, right? When we build for, for people's wants, like when it becomes like a concert, the church becomes like an avalanche, okay? It becomes like an avalanche where it can be super impressive on the short run. Like if, if you see an avalanche happen, like a lot of snow is moving with a lot of force. Trees are just getting snapped like twigs. And you look at that and go, wow, like that's amazing. Could I ski that like a surfer on a wave? Like, like, like this looks incredible. That's like, look at what that avalanche just did, right? It's powerful. It's amazing. But after a short period of time, it's over. It doesn't withstand the test of time. Right, But a glacier, on the other hand, is not nearly as impressive on the short run. As you look at a glacier, it's like watching paint dry. Right? Like, like what, what's happening here? But as glaciers move and work and shape, they form things like Yosemite. And so while an avalanche can impress people on the short run, they do nothing on the long run. But a glacier can form something that's life-changing. Right? And so when the church is built on the foundation of Christ, we become like a glacier. Maybe it's not the most impressive thing in town, but it's going to have a lasting impact well into the future. Verse 14 says, If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Real quick, verses 13 through 15 is not talking about purgatory, okay? Like, we just need to clarify that. It talks about the day, the judgment day, and it's like there's one judgment day, and then there's eternity, okay? So he's not talking about purgatory, but he is saying that there will be an inspection day. He's saying that there will be a day when we stand before God, and we're going to hear a few words from him. Some people, when they stand before God, are going to hear him say, you lived a life that was well spent, you lived a life that was well spent. That will be our reward to hear that from God, right? But other people are gonna hear something totally different. For other people, they're gonna hear, I love you. Like, I'm, st- I'm still gonna let you in, but you wasted your life. In other words, there'll be some people that will escape hell by the skin of their teeth. And we have to realize like the goal of salvations, not just to escape hell, is to be so moved by the love of Christ that we give all of our lives to make much of him. Like Jesus doesn't just save us from sin. He saves us for a new life to know God and to make God known. So as we talk about grace, which we talk about a lot here, like we, we wanna be grace-filled people. We wanna know that our salvation is not from what we do, but from what Christ has done. We want people to have this security that, that when they show up like to heaven and stand before God, that they're hoping in not their works, but the works of Christ. Like we want to preach grace. But sometimes if people's response to grace is, wait, 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 wait. You're telling me that I can live however I want and still get in? And you're like, yes. Like there's nothing you can do that'll make God love you more. There's nothing you could do or have done that'll make him love you less. Like your love is fully secured because of Christ. So you're telling me that like Jesus saves me and that I don't have to do anything else and I can live however I want and God's gonna love me more or less. So I can live however I want and I'm still gonna get in. 
if that's our response, right? He's saying that when you stand before God, like you just got in by the skin of your teeth. Like, they, they, like if that's your response, you're, 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 you're missing the point of what you're called to. I think it's important to know that if that's how you're living your life, if you're saying God's grace means I can do whatever I want and still get in, so I'm gonna do whatever I want. If that's your response, you might be saved, but you are wasting your life, okay? If that's your response, I can live however I want and still get in, so I'm gonna live however I want. You might be saved, but you are wasting your life. But, you also need to hear that if that's your response, you might not be saved. You might not be saved. And if that's the case, what you're doing by misrepresenting what it means to know God is destructive to the work of the church. Look at verses 16 and 17. It says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple... God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. See, look, God is madly in love with his church. And when you work against it, that's something that he takes very seriously. And so if your life is actively working against knowing God's grace, he's saying you're in danger of eternal destruction that living a life to get in by the skin of your teeth is not a risk worth taking. You need to pursue maturity by running to God, not from him as a result of his grace. All right, so so real quick, I wanna kind of stop there and just ask the question, what do we do with this text, right? Because it's ultimately aimed at our maturity, our growing in our faith. What do we do with this text? And as we peel back and see why, what Paul's pressing in on here, what we're gonna see is that when the world sees the church, the world should see Christ, right? So, so he's talking about these things aimed at our maturing in our faith because he knows that when the world sees the church, the world should see Christ, all right? That, that maturity is important because as we grow in our faith, we become better tangible expressions of what it means to know God. Look at verses 16 and 17 again. He says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy. You are that temple. Right, so, so real quick, maybe you're, you're new to church and, and the idea of like a temple is, is, is not something that you're connecting to and, and that's totally fine. A lot of people in church don't know what we're talking about here. It's like temple, all right? Um, so, so temple is something that we see in the Old Testament. So let's just back up to the very beginning. Genesis 1, all right? God created the world, it was good. You had Adam and Eve and Adam and Eve lived in God's presence, okay? I do, like when I teach my daughter and my son, like I, I'll do this a lot. Like we were together with God and they're like, <laughs> all right, so, so we're, we're, we're with God in the beginning, all right? But then things went horribly wrong as we decided that we would rather have God out of the picture, that we know what's best in life. We would like to be God without God there. And, and so that fractured that relationship and separated us from God. And so now you kind of have these two spaces, right? You have heaven where God is and you have earth where we are. Right? And, and so this, these spaces of heaven and earth is not how the world was created to be. 
right? I imagine, I'm so glad we don't have video because I'm like, <laughs> it's gonna be a gif, um, so or gif, whatever it's called. And so either way, like so, like so, that's not the way the world was meant to be, right? These two spaces is not how God created it to be. And so then, in the Old Testament, as we see God's rescue plan unfold, we have these two different temples. One is the tabernacle in the desert, and then we have a final one in Jerusalem. All right, and so the temple, as you read the descriptive language of it, like in Exodus or or in other texts, like what you'll see is there's so much imagery that paints a picture of Eden, which was a picture of these spaces colliding, where heaven and earth were one, where we were in God's presence. So, so the temple has this holy of holies, which is a place of God's presence, and God gives the temple for us as sinful humanity to be able to experience his nearness, okay? So Jesus shows up as the true and better temple, And then instead of being a place that was like secluded in one little area that you had to be purified to come into, Jesus, as that temple starts going out, healing people and forgiving them of their sins, as he goes out, he starts creating these little pockets of heaven and earth where where heaven and earth are beginning to collide, right? Now Jesus leaves and he gives us his Holy Spirit to empower us to live lives, for him. So now Jesus is working in us and living through us. And so as Jesus lives in us and through us, we become temples. And as temples, our presence should create this collision of heaven and earth where we are creating pockets of heaven wherever we go. Now, as you look at this, this verse right here, 16 and 17, is in the context of Paul talking about church unity. So if you take this text and only make it individual, I am a temple, I am the one who is God's presence. If you make it only individual, you're missing the point. The word he uses for you in the Greek is literally translated you yourselves, plural. The word he uses for temple is singular. So he's saying that as the church, we are all these little tiny temples, but we are meant to come together right? Plural to form one temple. And as we come together, we should be this powerful, tangible expression and experience of God's presence and God's nearness to the world that we're in. So God wants us to mature in our faith because he wants us to grow in our ability to show Christ to the world that he has put us in, all right? So we have to ask the question, how are we doing in that? Like, how is Redeemer doing in showing Jesus to Johnson City? How are we doing as a church? Like, this is kind of like a, a family conversation that we need to have. How are we doing in showing Jesus to Johnson City? If my house disappeared from my street, would anybody in Johnson City care? Right? Like if my house just disappeared, my neighbors would be concerned. Like what just happened? Right? Like people who dropped their kids off at Town Acres Elementary School would be curious. There used to be a house there. Like what happened? Like, like they'd be curious. But if you're living in Gray, the Gump, the Tree Street, somewhere else in town, you don't care that my house disappeared. Right? Because my house doesn't exist for your benefit. It exists kind of for my family to hunker down and to be a place and we want to be missional and all that, but we're not doing the best of jobs. And so like, so like no one's really going to care if my house disappears, right? So what if Redeemer disappeared? Like what if Redeemer had to shut its doors? Would anybody in Johnson City care? 
If you look at Acts chapter eight, you don't have to turn there. You can just trust me or you can turn there. But there, there's some verses that I think that we need to read and take seriously as a church. And in and, and Acts eight, starting in verse four, the early church is progressing. It's spreading. It's growing by the thousands and it's being persecuted by, by Saul, who will later be Paul, who writes most of the New Testament. And, and in the middle of that, it says, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and they saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them and many were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. The presence of the gospel and its implications created joy in that city. So we have to ask, is there much joy in Johnson City as the result of our presence? Is there much joy in our city because of what we're doing as we do the work of Christ? In chapter nine, all right, towards the back end, there's this girl named Tabitha. And, um, and she's just a, a lady who is expressing the gospel through the way that she's living her life. And so in verse 36, it says, now there was in Joppa, a disciple named Tabitha which translated means Dorcas. Like worst nickname in the Bible, right? Like what's your name? Tabitha, Dorcas, right? And so she says she was full of good works and acts of charity. So she's not going around casting out demons and healing people. She's literally just doing good works filled with charity, right? And it says in those days, she became ill and died, right? Jump down to 39. It says, so Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. Like when she dies, the city weeps because they're saying, if not her, then who? Like if we were to close our doors, would Johnson City weep because of our absence? Right, like how are we doing in showing Jesus to Johnson City. If all we're doing is trying to keep people comfortable, if all we're doing is, is trying to put on the best show in town, asking what do people want and completely neglecting how they need Christ more than anything else, then we're gonna be a church that has little to no impact in the city that God has placed us in and called us to be faithful to. You see, this isn't a sermon that we can just kind of take notes on, tilt our hat to, and then move on from. This, this has to be something that we hunker down and talk about. Like small groups have to take some time to unpack this. Like what does our small group need to do? Like my hope is that as, as you leave here and go to lunch, like that maybe this will drive some of that conversation. That people start asking the questions like, okay, if God wants us to grow in our faith to show Jesus, John said, like, what are some things that we can be a part of? Like, this is something that we take seriously. Okay, like, so, um, man, what time do we have? I've got some time. All right, so, so real quick, just like, I'll peel back the curtain for you guys, all right? So Redeemer started to grow a little bit. And we were thinking like, man, we need a building. Like, there's so many things that a building would help us out with, right? And we know that the church isn't a building, it's a people, Right? Um, and, and so like, for instance, like right now our youth ministry meets at another church 
And that church just hired another pastor and we're like, are we still going to have a youth space? Like, like, they're like, what? Like, 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 those are like little logistical things that you might not think about when you think like we don't have a building, right? So, so we've been aiming at that, trying to find a space that could be a long-term home. Nothing shook out. And so we're looking there saying, okay, God's blessing us and people are being faithful and giving to the mission of this church. And like, so we have a little bit of income and like, and so, man, at the end of the day, people are more important than buildings, right? And so we were able to, to better staff ourselves. And one of the staffing moves that we made was directly aimed at what we're talking about today. When we hired Stephen Blackburn as our community life pastor, it's for us becoming a family, shouldering up, growing in our faith, right? Becoming the, the temples of Christ together to show him to our community and also being in our community, like our community as being a family and our presence in the community of Johnson City where we could leverage our lives, our resources, our talents, our passions in a way to know God and make him known. So, so we're, we're, we're saying like, this is important. So we're gonna hire towards that to get better at it as a church. And so, so he's working on things right now, like 12 different partnerships where every month we can highlight something that you can be a part of, right? We're, we're working on something for the new year where we're gonna just try to do these seed projects of beautifying our city where we can do 30 projects in 30 days. Like we wanna be people who are starting to leverage our lives. He's starting to know as many people that lead organizations in town to be that connective tissue to help people know like, okay, I'm passionate about women who got pregnant and, and are struggling to know what to do. Like, okay, I'm gonna connect you to this ministry. Or people say like, man, I, just, I, just, I love inner city youth and my heart breaks for broken families. And I just wanna be a presence in our life. Okay, I wanna put you with this ministry. So he's the, gonna be like this catalytic person that's gonna help us make those connections so we can be leveraging ourselves in town. So this is something that we're taking seriously that we want you to start stepping into as well, right? This isn't a sermon that we just move on from. God takes the maturity of our church very seriously, and we want to grow up so that other people in our town can experience God's nearness through our presence. Like God wants us to be a tangible expression of who he is to the town that we're in. So we have to take this call to take care in how we're building the church seriously. We have to take this call in how we're building the church seriously. I love it in Matthew 5. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under the feet of men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. And so they put it on a stand so it may shine and give light to the whole house. In the same way, let your light shine before men so they may see your good deeds and praise your Father who is in heaven. Right? Like we're called to be flavorful. We're called to be a presence that stops moral decay. We're called to, to push people back towards God and to push back on the darkness that is around us. And if we're gonna stay salty, if we're gonna be a light, we have to mature in our faith. That's why Paul wraps up in verses 18 through 23. He says, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. What he's saying here is 
he's making this final plea to not be shaped by society who only wants to know what's in it for me. Saying we've got to get past this what's in it for me mentality. And then in verse 21, he says, so let no one boast in men for all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. Think about that. You are Christ's and Christ's is God's. When we realize how we have everything we need and anything we could possibly want through Christ, we're freed from the false hope of comfort and freed to a life that displays the true hope of Christ. This is why we have to constantly focus on the cross. Because at the cross, we see Jesus leaving the comforts of heaven, stepping into our world to pursue us, not because we have anything to offer him, but because he loves us. And as we are gripped by this amazing truth of what he did to rescue us, our lives will begin to shape up to do the same. God, thank you for your word. We want to be a church that brings great joy to Johnson City and to the world. God, we want to be a church that is having such an impact for your kingdom that if we were to shut down, that the city would weep. And God, we need your help. And we can't become that church without deeply diving into the foundation of who you are. To know greater the, the richness of the gospel in such a way that it shapes everything that we do. So God, we're imperfect people. We're not going to do everything perfect or right, but God, we, we want to run after you and make progress. So help us. God, help us to know what type of church we need to be. God, help people that are here begin to realize that you have a call and a purpose for their lives and help them to launch into that. And God, help us to be a beautiful display of your presence. Let us live out the truth of who we are, that we are your temple. That's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this audio from Redeemer Community Church in Johnson City, Tennessee. You can connect with us and find out more information at RedeemerCommunity.com.